A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of sexual situations. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Also something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of a single myth about the Huldra. Today's episode combines elements from various Swedish and Norwegian legends for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original by Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Each week, our show brings you an in-depth exploration of mythology's most terrifying creatures. By learning more about where these beasts come from, we hope to discover why they've haunted humanity for centuries. Today, we'll be exploring a Scandinavian wood nymph known in Norwegian as the Huldra. The Huldra is one of many creatures that lurks within the endless Nordic forest. She walks amid the towering pines as a beautiful maiden who uses a melodious song to lure wandering men into her clutches. You can find more free episodes of Mythical Monsters and other originals from Parcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up, the story of the Huldra begins with a petulant child and a mysterious visitor. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Few things are as enticing to the human imagination as a dark and ominous forest. Its shadowy landscape has been the source of many unsettling stories. And Scandinavia, a region of Northern Europe that includes Sweden, Norway, Denmark, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, and Finland, has no shortage of deep, dense woodlands. Its lush topography is full of rivers, mountains, and impenetrable forests. Before the arrival of Christianity in the 11th century, the belief system of Scandinavian cultures was intrinsically tied to the nature around them. Archaeologists have found rune stones and worship sites throughout the region that indicate the Norse were particularly reverent to trees. They believed the world tree, called the Yggdrasil, was the center of the universe. Therefore, their lush forests were seen as a realm of spiritual importance. But malevolent beings also lurk within nature's bounty. Tora Vall, a folklorist at the Nordic Museum in Sweden, the Nordiska Museet, points out, The further out you got in the woods, the more dangerous the creatures you met became. 
creatures like the huldra. The name huldra means a female forest spirit and derives from hulder in Old Norse, which means hidden. Her Swedish name, Skogsroa, translates to Lady of the Forest. This elusive creature is frequently depicted as a riveting, golden-haired maiden who seduces lost wanderers with an entrancing song. Though she is appealing to the eye from the front, her back hides unsettling secrets. She possesses a fox tail, or in some variations, a cow or horse tail. Sometimes she has the ears of a lynx. In Sweden, the huldra also has a large, rotting hole in her back, like the hollow in a tree. Many legends describe Huldra as a temptress who lures men into the forest for sexual rapture. In some of these tales, her victim's life depends on her carnal satisfaction. In others, she thanks hunters for intercourse by blessing them with bountiful game the next morning. Uppsala researcher and author Tommy Kuzala points out, most scholars have interpreted these legends as erotic fantasies emanating from lonely men thinking about women and sexual activities when alone in the woods. But in other stories of the Huldra, her goal is more than sexual satisfaction. It's about reclaiming her lost humanity. These tales recount the Huldra hypnotizing men into marrying her in church, after which her tail will fall off, allowing her to pass as human. This desire to rid herself of her own monstrosity comes up often in Huldra legends. She's said to be incredibly sensitive about her tale, and if a man she approaches mentions it, she'll punish him for his rudeness. On a surface level, the Huldra is merely a warning to travelers to be wary of beautiful strangers and to please, please be polite. But her true warning is more dire. The Huldra embodies the mysterious abyss of the deep, dark forest and reminds us that it's no place to wander, for it may be the last thing you ever do. Runa lay in a puddle of mud, glaring up at her older sister Inga. Inga had pushed her. Runa stood, wiping angrily at the grime that coated her dress. Her mother had specifically told her to stay out of the mud today. They all had to look their very best. She was going to be furious with her. Inga smirked at Runa and said, Now your outside matches your inside. Go join the other dirty brats. Runa's cheeks burned. She looked behind her, where her eight other siblings played in the front yard of their small cabin. They laughed freely, flinging globs of mud at one another. At least she wouldn't be the only one scolded by their mother. Runa turned back to Inga. Her snotty sister was the eldest, the apple of their mother's eye, and she certainly never missed a chance to show their mother how superior she was to Runa. It made Runa's blood boil. She lunged for Inga's arm, digging her nails into her sister's alabaster skin. She whispered lethally, Best not leave your shoes alone by the door. I heard spiders like to live in the toes. Inga's face drained of color. 
A voice called out. Runa quickly let go and turned to see her mother, Freya, standing at the cabin's doorstep. Runa winked at Inga, then skipped up to Freya with the most dazzling smile she could muster. But her smile disappeared when she heard Freya's panicked wail. What have you done? You are all filthy. I told you we have a visitor coming. The children shuffled inside, their heads hung low. Each and every one was caked in mud from their roughhousing, all except Inga, who sat daintily at the family's large wood table. Freya hurried about, muttering to herself. She snatched one of her children and hauled them, clothes and all, into a big wooden basin full of water. Grabbing a rough-looking scrub brush, she began vigorously cleaning the child. As she worked, Runa heard her whisper frantically, "'He cannot see them like this.' Runa watched curiously. She had never seen her mother act this way. Whoever was coming must be a very important guest indeed. Runa tried to think of how she could soothe her mother's nerves. She brightened, suddenly realizing she had just the thing. She opened her mouth and a sweet song drifted from her lips, a melodious lullaby. Freya always sang it to Runa before bed to help her sleep. If anything could soothe her mother, it was this song. But Freya ignored her. Instead, she threw the child from the bath and pulled another in. The scrubbing resumed. When she finished with that child, she started on a third. The tune died in Runa's throat at the rebuff. Anger grew in her belly. She was the only one trying to make her mother feel better, and Freya acted like she wasn't even there. She stormed for the door. Her mother's head snapped up and she yelled, Stay near! I do not have time to chase you! Freya finished cleaning the third child and grabbed a fourth. Runa frowned, hurt, even her own mother thought her as more of a pest than a child. She heard a snicker and turned to see Inga smiling smugly from the table. Runa stepped towards her threateningly, but she was stopped by a heavy knocking at the door. The small home shuddered at every blow. Runa froze and looked at her mother, Freya's eyes were wide as she moved to the four now-clean children that shivered beside the tub, then to Runa and the rest of her still-muddy siblings. Freya grabbed two of her unwashed children and disappeared out the back. Moments later, Freya returned without them and snatched two more of them. She left again, this time into another room. The knocking continued with more urgency. Freya reappeared and sprinted for the door, but stopped in her tracks as she passed Runa. Her eyes raked over her daughter's dirt-streaked face. Under her gaze, Runa went numb with shame. She said, I'm sorry, Mama. I'll clean myself. Freya shoved Runa into the broom closet beside the hearth. She whispered urgently for Runa to keep quiet. The door slammed shut. 
A small blade of light from the door's edge cut through the dark of the closet. Runa pressed her face up against it. She could see a man's immense figure entering the home. There was something peculiar about him. She couldn't see his face. It looked as if the air around him glowed with a foggy aura. Freya bowed. Inga and the four clean children then followed suit. The man asked softly, "'But surely these are not all your children?' Runa jumped, feeling surprised. He had barely spoken above a whisper, but she had somehow heard him as clearly as if he stood beside her. Runa saw Freya tense. Her eyes flickered to the closet before she murmured, "'But they are, my lord.' Runa's chest tightened and tears filled her eyes. Her mother would not even admit she existed. Inga sat up tall and proud. Of course she was proud. She was acknowledged, while dirty Runa hid in the closet like vermin, an outcast in her own home. The room went quiet, waiting for the figure to reply. When he spoke again, his voice was calm. You have hidden children from me. Runa winced. His timber thundered in her head, as if the very air was speaking for him. Freya started to protest, but a loud boom silenced her. Runa could not see what made the sound, but she did see her mother's face. It was full of terror. A bright light bathed the room in an ethereal glow. Runa pressed her eye against the crack to look for its source. She could no longer see the man, but a moment later, she heard his voice thundering around the cabin. If you hide your children from me, you hide them from humanity. They might as well live in the shadows. Freya cried out in panic. Alarmed, Runa reached for the door handle. But before she could push the closet open, her ears filled with a painful, relentless ringing. She dropped to her knees and pressed her palms against her head in an attempt to dull the agony. Her vision swam, the light from under the doorway twisting into impossible curls. The closet door flew open to reveal the visitor. His face was hidden by a glowing light emanating from his skin but she could somehow see his cold, black eyes peering through the brightness. As soon as Runa met his gaze, an icy chill swept over her. And then the world began to spin, becoming a chaotic blur around her. Runa's stomach churned. She reached out to hold on to something, anything, but her hands clawed uselessly at the air. Out of nowhere, the ground rushed up to meet her, and she smashed into it with a thud. Runa lay with her eyes closed, pleading silently for the dizziness to pass. When her nausea finally faded, she opened them. But she was no longer in the closet. She was in the middle of a dark, dense forest. Coming up, Runa becomes accustomed to her new home. 
Life can take some unexpected turns. Some things are easily explained, and others, well, not so much. But that's where the series Unexplained Mysteries comes in. Every Tuesday and Thursday on this Spotify original from Parcast, hosts Molly and Richard investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Whether it's the baffling existence of the gelatinous Oakville blobs, the strange forecast which caused the Kentucky meat showers, or the motives of the maniac known as the Bunny Man, Unexplained Mysteries leaves no stone unturned and no question unasked. If you enjoy the mystifying creatures we cover on this show, you'll definitely want to check out Unexplained Mysteries. You can find new episodes twice weekly or binge their whole catalog, over 150 episodes, whenever you want. Follow Unexplained Mysteries free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. According to the Christian version of the myth, the Huldra was the daughter of Adam and Eve and was created by a lie. As the story goes, God came to visit Eve one day while she was washing her many children. However, she was only able to make half her children presentable before his arrival, so she hid the rest and lied. And when you lie to God, terrible things happen. The celestial visitor ordained that all the children he could not see would be doomed to hide forever, therefore creating the hidden children of the forest. In Scandinavian folklore, the term huldra folk, or hidden folk, is a broad term to describe mythical beings that hide in the woods or mountains. They lie in wait among the trees, ready to lead wanderers astray. Even experienced hunters can be duped by the huldra, or her ilk, by trails that inexplicably change direction. The huldra falls into a category of creature known as the rua. These are keepers or wardens of nature that defend their habitat against human interlopers. Another beast in this category is the Barisoa, a mountain troll who attacks miners that dig too deep. Another well-known roa is the Shara, a creature that would later be identified with the mermaid. She guards the lake and drowns those who anger her. Both the Shara and the Huldra possess a tail that gives away their bestiality and have historically been painted in the role of seductress, who traps her prey using her enchanting voice. According to authors Raymond Kvideland and Henning K. Ziemsdorf, legends surrounding mermaids in particular were a blending erotic fascination with repulsion and fear of the mermaid's animal nature. These beautiful monsters have two faces. For the Huldra, her first face is one of sweet naivete and joy when she happens upon a wandering soul in her forest. But when she feels like she is wronged, she shows you her second face. And this face you do not want to see. Runa stumbled through the leaves and brush with ragged gasps. She looked around the dim forest, disoriented. Moments ago, she'd been in a closet, shut away there by her mother, who was too ashamed to show her mud-covered child to her honored guest. But now, Runa didn't know where she was. 
She stood and looked around only to see she was surrounded by towering trees. She called out for help, but all that answered her was the wind. Runa tried to retrace her steps. She had seen the visitor's glowing skin, his cold eyes, and then she had somehow spun away from her home and landed here. Was this magic? Runa hauled herself over a fallen tree in the path. She had to get home, to her mother and her family. Even seeing her horrid sister Inga would be a relief. But as she climbed over the tree's massive trunk, her dress's hem caught on a branch and ripped. She grabbed for it, but she lost her balance and fell, slamming to the ground on the other side of the trail. Runa started to rise, but noticed something moving in the forest debris between her legs. It was furry and reddish and was thrashing about wildly like a tail. With a shriek, Runa backed away, worried she'd fallen on some kind of creature. But when she moved, so did the tail. She yanked on it. A sharp sting pierced her tailbone instantly. She gasped. The tail was attached to her. She frantically felt at her back. Her eyes widened. The tail's fur and her smooth skin blended seamlessly together. It wasn't just attached to her, it had grown from her. Her hand slowly traveled up her back. Her fingertips brushed along her taut, youthful skin until she felt it turn rough and dip inwards at a sharp angle. She yelped, drawing her hand away as if it had been stung part of her back was missing. It was as if she'd been hollowed out between her shoulder blades. What had the visitor done to her? She was no longer a girl, but a thing. With an angry wail, Runa pounded her fists against the earth. She lay on the ground for hours, sobbing and howling, until finally she fell asleep. When Runa awoke the next day, she squeezed her eyes shut tighter. She prayed that when she opened them, she'd be back in her home's muddy yard, watching Inga's vapid smile staring down at her. It was all just a dream. It had to be. Then she opened them. The vast forest loomed around her. Her stomach plummeted at the sight. She touched her back her fingers brushing the soft fur of her tail. Fresh tears streamed down her face. She took a shaky breath and slowly stood. Sitting here and crying would not help. She had to get home. Runa walked through the forest for days, but every path led nowhere and every landmark was unfamiliar. It became clearer and clearer that she was very far from home. Somehow her grief began to fade, and soon questions swirled around her mind. She wondered if her other unwashed siblings were somewhere in the forest, hiding from her, or if maybe they were lost like she was, unless she was the only one this had happened to. As she walked through the trees, her thoughts only grew darker. Did her mother have a choice between her children? Had she chosen Runa for this fate? 
Bruna felt the wind go out of her. She thought of Freya shoving her into the closet like she was a blight on the household. Days turned into months. Runa soon adapted to the forest. Her footsteps became skillful and soft, and she fed on whatever vegetation she could stomach. She grew tall, and her legs became long and lithe. To accommodate her new womanly figure, she expanded her dress by weaving leaves into the hem and seams. Its coloring allowed her to blend into her surroundings as if she wasn't even there. The longer Runa roamed, the less she thought about her family. One day, she realized she no longer knew where she was going or where she had come from. All she knew was the forest and the dull ache of unquenchable loneliness. Runa lay by a stream, staring up at the refracting sunlight through the canopy above. A stick cracked. Footsteps stomped clumsily through the forest. Runa's ears perked up at the sound. This was no animal. It was something bigger. Runa slunk behind a tree just as a ruddy-faced man appeared, hacking a path with a scythe. He stopped to unlock a canteen from his belt and took a long, deep drink. Runa peered out, studying his face with wide eyes. It had been so long since she'd seen someone who looked like her. Foggy memories floated through her mind. A woman's loving gaze, a child's unbridled joy. No, several children, laughing as they played. She did not recognize these people she thought of, but the sight of them warmed her. And when she opened her mouth, a song drifted from her throat. Its notes were sweet and heart-wrenching, its cadence smooth. Runa felt the melody wrap around her like a soft blanket. The man stopped drinking to listen, enraptured. Runa slowly stepped out from behind the tree and watched as awe spread across his face. His eyes took her in hungrily. Though she had not laid eyes on a human in a lifetime, there was no mistaking his expression. Runa realized that he desired her. She was wanted. His need for her was contagious. She wanted to feel his arms around her, holding her tight like she was the only thing that mattered. Her body pulled towards him instinctively, and her tail whipped around in excitement. The man looked down and his delirious smile was replaced with an expression of utter fear. His voice shook as he asked, What are you? Runa's cheeks tingled like she'd been slapped. She watched the man tremble, his lip curled in disgust. Under his gaze, she felt so dirty. A foggy memory tore through her mind. She saw a woman's face staring at Runa with that same revulsion. Runa's teeth clenched. Anger seethed within her until she could no longer take it. She let it all out in an ungodly howl. 
Before the man could act, her fingers closed around his arm. She dug her nails into his flesh, watching blood bloom from his broken skin. She took off, dragging the man behind her. In spite of his stocky frame, she found that he was surprisingly light. His screams echoed uselessly through the trees. She felt the temperature drop and the light dim. They were deep in the endless forest, deeper than most people ever went. She threw the man down to the earth and watched him curl into a ball, clutching his arm in agony. Then Runa backed away and slipped behind a nearby tree. She watched him keenly from behind the branches. The man sat up in a daze. He called out, but the wall of foliage muffled his voice. Slowly, he stood and scanned the sea of trees, terrified. Runa noticed his forehead was beaded with sweat. He stomped around as if trying to get a sense of direction. His movements grew more panicked until he screamed in frustration. Runa stifled a chuckle. She enjoyed watching this nasty man struggle. Finally, he stumbled away, blindly forging a path through the dense vegetation. Runa smiled. He would never find his way out. Coming up, Runa tries to escape her curse. Now back to the story. Like many ancient societies with oral traditions, the Vikings' original religious practices have mostly been lost to time. But Viking sagas and poetry recorded in the 13th century give us some insight into the ancient Norse gods and mythology. The Edda, for example, are two collections of Icelandic writing from the 13th century. The Elder, or Poetic Edda, is a body of mythological and heroic poems that tell stories of old Norse gods, while the Younger, or Prose Edda, is essentially a handbook on poetics, but it also contains myths. However, since they were written after Christianity came to Scandinavia in the 11th century, it's likely that they were still subjected to some Christian influence. Influence, however, might be an understatement. Like with other cultures Christianity took over, the church tried to purge Scandinavia of practices they considered pagan. Authors Kveidland and Ziemsdorf write, from the perspective of the church, the spirits of the farm, forest, field, river, lake, sea, and air were typically seen as evil. Since the Norse had previously focused their belief system around gods who worked their magic through nature, this new Christian perspective was quite a shift. But the story of the Huldra was not destroyed with the spread of Christianity, only repurposed. She was a useful creature for the church because she already possessed sinful qualities. She is a gorgeous temptation, hiding an evil deformity beneath her clothes, waiting to steal your soul. The church saw the Huldra as a wanton female who could literally destroy a man if he falls prey to his urges. As mentioned earlier, she was linked to Eve, the original sinner. 
As we saw, it was Eve who hid her unwashed children from God and lied to him. But Christianity also changed the Huldra's lore by adding a moral to her story. Even the Huldra had an opportunity to rid herself of sin and find her way into goodness. All she had to do was get married. Egil sat on a low, rocky peninsula, jutting out into a fjord, his fishing line submerged in the water. He gently nudged his son, Fresca, and wondered aloud if they'd chosen the right part of the inlet to fish in. Fresca smiled, but did not take his eager gaze off his line. Egil ruffled the boy's hair affectionately. Fishing was the only thing that excited Fresca after his mother's passing a month ago. Though the kid still would not speak, every time they fished, it felt like they were inching closer to normalcy. Egil gazed out at the vast, wooded cliffs that lined the fjord. His wife had loved to fish, too. She somehow always knew which side of the valley would yield the most, a skill Egil was not as adept in. An inviting melody floated from the woods behind him, making Egil shudder. He looked over at the tree line, his skin tingling. A beautiful woman stood at the forest's edge. Long, golden hair fell around her shoulders in a cascade of curls. Her sweet lips gently parted as a sensuous lullaby continued drifting from her mouth. He tried to speak, but he could only sit there, agape at her loveliness. The world receded, everything becoming dim and blurred. Everything but her. Runa carefully curled her tail up beneath her dress, keeping her eyes locked on the fisherman. She had seen the way he nudged his son, the love he had in his eyes for his boy. Observing the father and son had made her feel so lonely. There was nothing more she wanted than that, their companionship. And now he looked to her with that same love. It gave her chills. Runa slunk toward Egil until she stood directly before him. She slowly lifted a hand and pressed it to his face, sighing deeply as she did so. It had been a long time since she had touched another human, and his skin was so smooth. Her cheeks grew hot, and an urgency took over. She took his hand and moved it to her breast. The boy laughed uncomfortably, startling Runa. The fisherman's delirious gaze suddenly sharpened and he pulled back. He looked at his son and then back at Runa, alarmed. Hurt stung Runa. She asked with an edge to her voice if she had done something wrong. The man shook his head no and blinked rapidly. Then he stuttered out his name, Egil. He nodded to his son, this is my boy, Fresca. I... he knows it is not right to touch a woman who is not your wife. Runa cocked her head. Wife. The word sounded familiar. She noticed Egil's hand protectively flying to Fresca's shoulder. Another word came to mind. 
family. Her eyes filled with tears, images rolled through her head, flashes of children running about, a young girl's smug face laughing over her, the soft pressure of a woman's lips kissing her forehead goodnight. She had been part of a family. Runa wrung her hands with grief, realizing she no longer knew anything about them or where they were. These faded scraps of memory were taunting her, nothing but relics of all she had lost. She stared at Egil's strong arms, how protectively he held Fresca. They could be her family. The thought made Runa break into song once again. Egil's eyes glazed over, and his mouth slacked in a lopsided smile. She grabbed his hand and whispered in his ear. She told him to take her home so that she could become his wife. Runa skipped beside Egil as they walked. Every now and then she looked back at Fresca, who followed behind them. The boy stared at her blankly. She worried that he could see her tail, so she lifted it higher under her dress, feeling its muscles strain. Up ahead, the roofs of a small town appeared above the treetops. Runa's heart pounded at the sight. She had finally been rescued from the forest. No longer would she have to be alone. She laughed with excitement and squeezed Egil's hand, relishing as his rough skin rubbed against hers. They stepped out of the wooded trail and onto a dirt road. A group of deep voices were approaching from town. She felt Egil stiffen at the sound. He shook his head again, glancing back at Fresca and then at Runa. His eyes lowered to their hands, clasped together. Runa went cold. She was losing him. Egil softly asked what had happened. Runa's voice quivered as she told him they were to be married. Egil stammered, But my wife has only just died. What will people think? The approaching men waved to Egil from a few yards away. Runa watched Egil glance at them furtively before turning to Fresca and telling him to go greet them. Fresca hesitated but did as he was told. Egil turned to Runa and said, Wait here and maybe keep out of sight. Bile rose in Runa's throat. He wanted her to hide. The painful memory of the woman shoving her into the closet returned. She remembered the woman's eyes were filled with shame as she swung the door closed, leaving Runa alone. Fury blinded Runa and she squeezed his hand tightly, then as hard as she could. She felt his bones give way. Egil screamed as his hand shattered in her grip. When his eyes met hers, she saw he was terrified of her. Runa's heart broke. A quivering sob shook her. He was just like the first man in the forest. She yanked him off the road, away from the prying eyes of the approaching men. 
Once within the safety of the trees, she threw Egil to the ground. He lifted an arm defensively, his limp fingers flapping about uselessly on his mangled hand. Her tail lashed out from under her dress to whip across his face. His head jerked violently to the side. Her tail swung again, slapping him the other way. He tried to shove her off, but only managed to grab hold of her dress's collar. He pulled, tearing the woven leaves from the dress fabric. Runa wrestled out of his grip, but her struggle only ripped the dress more. Her right seam split, causing the entire side of the dress to flap open, exposing her chest and back. But Runa barely noticed. Her vision had clouded with rage, and she could hear nothing but the sound of her tail smacking Egil again and again. Finally, a sickening crack jolted Runa from her trance. She stood over Egil, panting. Egil lay still. The only sound was the soft wheezing that came from his laborious breaths. Blood poured from a broken nose and the seeping gashes that covered his face. The tail's lacerations had split his skin, exposing the cheek muscle beneath it. She stared at him with red-rimmed eyes. Then she turned to leave. Fresca stood by a tree a few yards away. His saucer-like gaze was fixated on her legs. She looked down, seeing her tail hanging between them. Her hand flew to the ruins of her blouse. The child had seen her back. Runa's eyes narrowed at Fresca. The boy must have realized she was not human. She raised her tail threateningly. One word of mockery, and she did not know what she would do. The boy whispered in a soft voice, Your dress is torn. Runa was caught off guard. She stared at him for a long moment before covering herself with her shredded dress. As she did so, she searched Fresca's face for any sign of mockery or disgust, but she found none. Runa walked away from the shuddering mess of blood that was Egil. As she passed Fresca, she whispered, Next time you go to the fjord, try fishing on the eastern side. And then she slipped into the woods, running until the sunlight faded and the trees thickened, back into the heart of the forest, where once again she was alone. The Huldra may be a cautionary tale, but she's not entirely evil, just as the forest is not entirely cruel and mysterious. Authors Kveidland and Ziemsdorf write, The people responded to nature in the way they experienced it, namely as animate and possessed of will, and thus capable of aiding humans, but also of doing them harm. Swedish folklore specialist Jonas Angman argues that many tales of forest creatures disappeared in the 20th century when Scandinavia was urbanized, since becoming lost in the forest became less and less threatening to most people on a daily basis. The stories became less of a warning and more of a tradition or entertainment. 
But the rapid urbanization of rural countries brings up another, more modern fear. The very real worry of deforestation and global warming has turned the forests from something to dread into something to protect. The huldra and similar creatures are now viewed as keepers of nature and the old way of life. When you offend the huldra today, you're showing disrespect for the natural world. The invisible creatures of the Scandinavian wild are no longer the predators of poor humans trying to eke out a living. The forest and the creatures that live within it should now fear us instead. As folklorist Tora Vall points out, they are the good ones. We are the bad ones. We have switched places in the narrative. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Alex Garland. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mythical Monsters.